We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 22 here in just a moment. I want to say before I get started, I wanted to uh, just commend Casey for filling in for me last week. I heard that he did a great job. I was able to watch it, which is a, a nice benefit of having Facebook Live, is to watch it and see for myself that he did a great job. We are uh, truly blessed for a lot of times for a pastor. Um, and, and some churches, you don't feel like you confident to be able to just go and have someone who is on staff who you can call on and, and tap in. You have to call out and find somebody. We're grateful uh, to have a kids and youth director who can rightly handle the word. And so we're excited for that. The good thing about Casey and him being here and being able to preach is that for me, when I went on this trip that the church so graciously sent uh, me and my wife on, I was actually able to leave with confidence. You're able to go somewhere and leave a place with confidence when you know that everything is settled, right? Whenever things are undone before you're leaving, maybe to go on vacation, right? You're, 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 concerned, you're not sure, right? Like, did I turn off the iron um, or think the house isn't clean? And it just causes you to not have any confidence. A similar thing was true of me when I left uh, the last church I was at to come here and and be at this church. Uh, Because y'all were gracious to give me a three-month transition period, I was able to help be in on some of the conversations as they were looking for uh, the man who was to come and replace me as the pastor. And what was awesome to see amazing to see God work out, is that uh, my good friend, his name is David, who had become a great friend in the ministry uh, with me there in Las Cruces, was the one who came and took over as the pastor of that church. Knowing that everything was settled gave me confidence, right? When someone dies, for them, when someone dies suddenly, all their affairs are out of order unless they were just totally prepared for it. Not many of us, if folks die suddenly, are prepared, right? But whenever someone passes away and they've had the time to set their affairs in order and have a plan, it gives a kind of confidence to rest assured knowing that everything's going according to the plan. The last thing I want to talk about with this concept is a guy named Craig Sager. And Craig Sager was a sports reporter and he was a Cubs fan, bless his heart. Um, because, you know, if you know anything, the Cubs were on this terrible losing streak where they hadn't won the World Series in such a long time. And Craig Sager, the year before he died, finally, after like a hundred plus years, I want to say, finally, the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. And even though it's a small thing, he was able to go to his death knowing that his, the favorite team, the team he'd always pulled for, had finally won the World Series series. We're going to see this morning this idea of a man named Simeon who is able to have consolation and comfort for himself as he is going on to be dying soon because he knows that the consolation and comfort of Israel is coming through Jesus. We're going to read starting in verse 22. I want to give you some context, okay? So we're going to start at 22. Though I'm not preaching on this whole section. We're going to go through verse 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word of God. Let's pray. Father, may you, your Holy Spirit, work through your word this morning to cause me to say what it is you would have your church to hear this morning from this text. Give us all ears to hear you, not just to hear audibly what's being said through my mouth, but to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning from this text. May this be so for for your glory and for the good of your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this, that we can rest knowing that God's plan to save the world is going according to plan. So you say, well, what do you mean by that? We're going to get to that here in a second. I'm going to read it one more time for you. We can rest knowing that God's plan to save the world is going according to plan. And we're going to see that's what Simeon is doing. But first, I just want to give you some background to understand just exactly what are Mary and Jesus and Joseph doing in the temple. They're going to the temple for this ritual purification that is required of them. It's required of Mary. Whenever you go through childbirth, there is a certain point of what they would call ritual uncleanness. uncleanness excuse me, And there's not that there's anything inherently wrong, inherently immoral with giving birth, right? That's part of God's created order. But to make a long story short, because a lot of folks are confused about this, and, and there's just a lot of confusion with these parts of the law, uh, the best we understand it is this, that where there was a great loss of blood that comes from giving birth, there is a period of time that has to wait, where a woman has to wait, where that blood is being built back up and coming to a place of bodily wholeness. So it has nothing to do with uh, birth being dirty or, or sinful or immoral in some way, but it's God saying that my law, through my law, people are made whole. And there is a need to be made whole. So even here at the beginning, we see these glimpses and shadows of the gospel. So they go, Jesus has to be circumcised. They bring a, a required sacrifice. And for them, it was originally in Leviticus, two birds or a bird and a lamb either a pigeon or or, or a turtle dove. And for them, Jesus says, if if someone can't afford it, they can bring two birds instead of the lamb and the bird. And they're doing that here. So we see the lowly 
state of Jesus' family at the beginning here. But here's what we take away from this, is that they were people who truly feared God. In a time in Israel where there were all kinds of factions who had all kinds of different beliefs and understandings about God and his law and his ways, and you had folks who were more liberal theologically and folks who were just very legalistic, and you had folks who were wanting to overthrow Rome, and you had folks who were wanting to go off and live in the hills and not interact with the culture at all, and then you had this small group of people, this remnant of God's people who were faithful to God, who were trying to do what God and his law required, no more, no less. What we see here is that Jesus truly kept the law, which is absolutely necessary for him to be a perfect savior. Even when it wasn't his doing, his parents were doing it. So in this time in the temple, they come upon this man named Simeon. And it says that Simeon, he was righteous and he was devout. Righteous has this idea that his walking before humans uh, is right, and the devout is that he is observing God's laws. Essentially, to sum it up, he is living a life that is lined up with God's ways, both in actions and in his heart. And it says he's actually being led by the Holy Spirit to this place. It's interesting, because we don't know exactly how this went down. It could have been that he was at home, and then all of a sudden the Spirit is urging him, you need to go to the temple. But we see that Simeon has this intimate relationship with God, and when God tells him that he needs to go, he goes. And what it tells us, though, is that he's waiting on the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. This thing that's going to, and to help you remember that, just the idea of a consolation prize, right? Whenever you don't actually win something on, like a, uh, on, a, on a game show, right, they always give somebody a consolation prize. So what's that? It's supposed to comfort you, make you feel better because you lost, right? They're waiting for, Israel's waiting for its comfort. Because we were supposed to be God's people, and there's supposed to be all these blessings that come from being God's people, but guess what? It's not happened. Israel has followed other gods, and God has sent judgment to correct them. And they're waiting on the consolation of Israel for the Messiah to finally come and set things straight. And for them in particular, they're waiting for a Messiah, and they're waiting for a political Messiah. One, to come in and whoop up on the Romans, right? Because they are currently... Not in captivity in the same way they were in Babylon and Assyria 400 years earlier. But they are under the rule and reign of Rome. They are not their own country. They are, but they're not. They're not having their own say in their life and in their destiny as a country. But Simeon is waiting. Waiting for the consolation and comfort of Israel. Because he knows that God is going to set things right. Church, this is the same hope of Christ and of Christmas that we celebrate this time of year. We have a hope that God is faithful to fix things. He is faithful to set things right. To fix this world that is completely and totally and utterly broken. Amen? This is the hope that we have right now. This is what makes Christmas, this is what should be making Christmas so joyful for us. Is that it's the fact that God has fulfilled his promise to be faithful to us. And so for Simeon, just through a little bit of reading between the lines, we see that he is likely an old man who has been waiting. And he's actually been told by God that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah, until he sees the Savior. And so for him, he is waiting 
and waiting. And he's probably getting older, and he's like, where is this Messiah, and where is this Savior? I know that for me, if I were getting older, if I were even on my deathbed right now, there would be a sense in which I would be really happy and at peace knowing that I don't have to face the troubles of this world anymore, right? There's a sense of that. There's some days where, for me, even at 29, I'm like, Lord, if you just need to take me out of here, like, that's, we're cool, because it's just, this world's going crazy in a lot of ways. But I can't say that fully, because I know that for me, I'm leaving some things, right? Some people. I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my kids. I'm leaving the rest of my family. I'm leaving this church. And I'm leaving all those things and all those people in a situation that is getting worse in the world by the day. But Simeon sees things differently. He has a different perspective on all of this. Because, see, our first point is this, that Simeon can depart in peace. Simeon can depart in peace. That's the whole point of this song. And if you look at verse 22, you see where it's uh, set off as, or excuse me, 29, sorry, in 29, where it's set off in a verse format. And he starts off by saying, he takes Jesus in his arms, he blesses God, and he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He can now depart. The idea here is he can be dismissed. One who is, departs in the way that this Greek word is talking about is one who has a master who says, okay, I'm done with you. You can go on. And he says, I can now depart and I can do it in peace and in joy. As we talked about with our Advent candle this morning, he was joyfully departing in peace. And that's the goal, right, of life is to get to the end And when that day comes, when for us it's that last day for us, that we can depart in peace. That's my aim, at least, and I hope that that's your aim. But if it's not, if you're a person who can sit here and say, I don't know how I'm going to depart from this earth, if it'll be in peace or with regret, then I hope that you'll listen this morning. Because see, Simeon told us that he can depart in peace. Our second point is this. He departs in peace knowing that Christ is the Savior of all people. This gives him actual comfort because he says, how can I depart in peace? I'm departing in peace because I have seen your salvation. I've seen the salvation that you're bringing. And the kind of salvation that it is, is one that is prepared in the presence of all people. Literally, this means before the face of every people group. And I said people, but it should be peoples. And on the slides here, it does say peoples. Before the face of every people group. This gospel is something that is intended to be expanding to the ends of the earth. Where every single group of people in this world will see it and find hope. It's a light of revelation to the Gentiles, he says. A light of revelation. See, the Gentiles, that's everyone who wasn't Jewish, they were once in darkness. And they had one kind of revelation only. And that's what we call a natural revelation. Romans 1 talks about this when it says that we see creation and we look outside and we can go stand up on top of the hill where the cross is and look out across this part, this neighborhood, this part of the county and see how beautiful it is. And God says that is enough for you to look at creation and see the order and the beauty for you to know that there is a God. But it's enough revelation only to condemn That kind of knowledge causes us to see there is a God and I should follow him. But see, if that's the case, if it was only for salvation, then why would God send someone? 
there is more knowledge that's needed. And so Jesus is coming as a new revelation, what we'd call a special revelation. He's coming to tell them something specific, not just that there is a God like nature tells us, but actually telling them that there is a way to be saved by this God. And what Christ actually ends up doing is when he comes, and he comes in perfection, he comes keeping the law, as we see here earlier in this passage, as he keeps the law perfectly, what he shows us is that you don't keep the law perfectly. And because of, of us not keeping the law perfectly, in light of Christ keeping it perfectly, we are condemned and we stand condemned. So, Christ comes and he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. But it's also, this is interesting, for the glory to your people, Israel. For glory to your people, Israel. This is the Messiah that God's chosen people, Israel, had been waiting on. He'd come to them and he'd said, listen, I'm making a covenant with you. If you do what I say, I'm going to be your God, you'll be my people, things are going to be great. But things didn't work out. They sinned and they rebelled against God. And as things fell apart, he said, I'm going to send a Messiah to make things right. And they've been waiting on this Messiah that's been revealed to them over a millennia or two. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 9. In Romans chapter 9, Paul is actually explaining the fact. He says, he goes on to say that he would rather himself be cut off from Christ, condemned, sent to hell, if only his fellow Jews would come to understand what it means that Christ is their Savior, and not just some guy who was doing things the way they didn't like. I was willing to be cut off from Christ if they would come to understand. And so he asks the question then, as he goes into the fact that he's trying to explain to them that it's not just being born into Israel, but it's being someone who's spiritually a descendant of Abraham. And what that means is someone who has faith in Christ and how God chooses those people. And the people that he chooses for salvation are not necessarily just Jews, but Gentiles. Here's what he says. They are Israelites, Romans chapter 9, 4, and 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. See, God has revealed himself to these people. They've been adopted into God's family. They've had the glory we see here again, the covenants, the giving of the law, worship, promises. Their forefathers, who, from whom they all came and descended in the flesh, knew God. From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Christ came as a Jew. They have all these things. They have a sense of brightness. That's what glory means, right? When something's glorious, you think about something glorious, think about how it shines, right? How it's beautiful. You say, wow, that's glorious. That's the idea, is it is radiating light. God's people have this light. They were made to shine and to be that light. And if you remember from a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard this before, right? That he made us to be light of the world. He sent this Savior to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to show the light of his people Israel, to prove out that light that he had given them. But as we consider this, we have to ask ourselves one thing. Are we living as though it's true, church? Are we living as though this gospel is true, and are we shining? Are we bringing revelation? Are we casting a light on the dark places? 
for people to see and understand and say, now I see that Christ is the one true Savior. Because understand this, if to Israelites belong the adoption and glory and covenants and giving of the law and so on and so forth, understand this, church, to us belongs the Christian culture, the financial stability, the access to God's word the lack of persecution. To us belongs all those things. And we have been given light. We've been given this glory. And the question now is this, what do we do with it? Do we take it to those who are waiting for the revelation of that light to, the, to them who don't know him yet? What are you doing to take this word to those who don't know? There's a few ways you can do it. I'm going to make a pitch real quick for our Lottie Moon offering. It's not something that benefits our church. It benefits the kingdom of God because it's a a time here in December where this offering is taken up and sent to the IMB, that's the International Mission Board. And that's us as a church helping to fund that mission where Lottie Moon had the vision that God gave her to go and reach people who do not know Christ. Now we're doing that more and more. And maybe in some small way that is a way for you to be that light, giving so that those who God has gifted to go and be missionaries in another country can go. But maybe if you also, it needs to be going yourself to take God's revelation to those who don't yet know. There are those who don't yet know who live across the street from you, or maybe are across the dinner table from you. Maybe who are across the office from you. But maybe even, church, there are those here who have been trying to deny it for a long time, who, but God is calling you to reach those who are across the ocean from you. I always want to encourage you to put your yes on the table, to tell God that whatever it is he calls you to do, to take the light of the gospel wherever he needs, you'll just say, yes, Lord, whatever it is, I will do it. For a lot of us, it's not going over as lifelong missionaries overseas. Maybe some of you, it is. Maybe some of you... You felt that call when you were young, when you were 20, and now you're 40, 50, 60, and you're like, should I do it? Maybe now's the time. It's also changing our attitude, though, about those to whom we're going to give the gospel. Now, most of us, if someone came to us and said, hey, tell me about Jesus, we wouldn't deny them, right? I don't think many of us Christians would say, you know, I'm not going to tell you about Jesus. But for a lot of us, we do make decisions about who we're going to take it to, proactively, right? If they came to us, we, of course we'd tell them. But for a lot of us, we're not taking the gospel to people who are all that different from us. We're not taking the gospel to people who think differently, who act differently, who vote differently, who look differently. God's light, the salvation he's prepared in the presence of all peoples, is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to everyone who doesn't know Christ. So God has this salvation, and it's what makes us as God's people bright. So the question for you is this, will you be that light? There's a lot of ways to do it. I hope that for you, you don't just stop somewhere in the area of monetarily. It's really easy to throw money at something and say, all right, let something good happen. Funds are needed. God uses those means, right? But God wants you spiritually. He wants so much more than your pocketbook. He wants you to take the light to the nations. So Simeon has this joy. He has this confidence. He can depart in peace because one thing he knows is that God's salvation is coming to all people, just like God has been promising for a long time. 
but he also departs in peace knowing this. It's almost like a warning, but something interesting is part of the gospel, we can't, just because it's kind of hard to deal with, or it's why would he tag this on, tack this on to him departing in peace? Um, we have to deal with it, and I think it's good because it's the gospel, folks. He understands, or has understanding that Christ will make people stumble. An understanding that Christ will make people stumble. See, he tells them all this about how I, have now, I now can depart in peace because I've seen salvation. And it says his father and mar- mother marveled at what was said about him. So they're marveling. They're not sure. But Simeon's not done. He actually goes on. Here's what he says. I'm taking them out of order, but hopefully it'll make a little more sense logically to us. First of all, he's going to be a sign opposed. That's how we know that he's going to the cross one day. One day, his message will not be received, and people will kill him for it. That's why Jesus says a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And he's talking to Mary there, the only earthly parent of Jesus who was alive at the time of the cross. But he is a sign that is opposed. We know that's true. But we forget this. We forget that Jesus is going to be opposed. Because for a lot of us, we see people pushing back on the Christian and godly aspects of culture. And we say, why is this thing, you know, we're almost confused. Why is this happening? And we get maybe upset, maybe you get upset over the fact that people don't say Merry Christmas anymore or that, you know, Starbucks don't sit on their cups or whatever. And we talk about this war on Christmas and we act like this is abnormal, but it's not. Christ came as a sign to be opposed. That's why he died on the cross. He didn't mess up. He didn't goof up. This was the promise from the beginning. But also through doing that, he's going to reveal the thoughts of many hearts, Simeon says. He's going to reveal the thoughts of many hearts. See, there's a lot of people who know what they think about God, right? We have good thoughts about God and, and who he is, and maybe that's you. But the real question is not what do you do with this vague idea of God. The question is what do you do with Jesus? All kinds of people have nice thoughts about God. They like having a big granddad in the sky they can pray to and ask for things whenever times are bad. But what do you do with Jesus? When you're confronted with the true Jesus of the Bible, the one who is the king, the one who is the suffering savior, not just the way our culture likes to portray him as Jesus meek and mild and a nice, sweet teacher, but the God of the universe who demands something of you. That reveals the true thoughts of your heart. That's what he came to do, to reveal the thoughts of many hearts. And in doing this, it says that he is for the rising and fall of many in Israel. This is all happening in verses 33 through 35. He is for the rising, and he's appointed. God put him here. His purpose, it's not that just incidentally some people are going to rise, meaning they're going to believe and have salvation, some are going to fall. It's not just incidentally that's going to happen. It says this child is appointed for this purpose. Folks, understand, Christ is bringing peace. That's one of our Advent candles and what we talk about. We have to understand this. The Christ later in his teaching says, Understand, I didn't come just to bring peace, but I also came to bring a sword, a sword that divides those who are for me and against me. He came for the rising and falling of many in Israel. 
Throughout scripture, it talks about the fact that he's the cornerstone that some are going to build their life on and the cornerstone on which many are going to trip and fall. Isaiah chapter 8 speaks of this in verses 14 and 15, where it says, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Going on to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul speaks of this. He says this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is not an accident. It is not a miscalculation on Christ's part. It's not a goof up. He was appointed to be the one on whom people rose and fell spiritually. Because there are those who look at him and say, I believe that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior. And there are those who say, I cannot believe that. It's always been prophesied to be, and we see that from Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ came. And we see that truth making itself, working itself out in 1 Corinthians. Where Paul says, listen, Christ, he's here and he's a stumbling block to the Jews. They go and they say, this isn't the kind of Messiah we're looking for. And they stumble over him. To the Gentiles who look at him, they say, that's folly to follow a Savior who would suffer like that. But to those who God has called to salvation, whether they're from Jew or Greek, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is those who will rise when they see Christ for who he really is. This is the truth of the gospel church. And knowing all of this made Simeon confident. Even the hard parts that said some folks will not believe in him, but they will reject him. Those hard parts, the fact that he'll be opposed, that not all people are going to get saved, not that every single person will be saved through him, gave Simeon a confidence to leave and to die, knowing that this is the plan that has been promised from the foundation of the world. That is what this Messiah is here for. And it may not be what we would choose if we had our way, but it's what God chooses. And he is the God who is sovereign over all. This is his world. And he does what he wants with it. And Simeon says, I can rest in peace in light of God's plan. Both the good and what maybe from a human perspective looks like the bad. I can rest in peace in light of God's plan. But the question, church, for you is this. Can you? For the believer who's here this morning, the person who bears the name of Christ and who says, I believe in Jesus, I follow him, he's my savior. I hope that for you, every day we're getting closer to death. And, and for you, I hope that you have confidence as you every day march closer to departing from this world. I hope that you can go in peace. But don't let that peace that's been given to you by God end with you. You are given it not for yourself, but that it may be a glory, a brightness. You're not given it, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, to hide under a basket. But instead, to be that means through which God's Messiah, his Savior, is revealed to those who don't know him. You're a means of revelation. I hope, though, for you, if you're here and you say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, that you're not just standing on the idea of God, but that you're truly standing on Christ and who he is. There are many who have borne the name of Christian in this world 
who end up tripping over the true and actual gospel of Jesus Christ because for them, they still say, I have to save myself through my good works or I can do whatever I want and live however I want. But in Matthew 7, there are people who come to Jesus and say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do many miracles in your name? Did we cast out demons and, and heal people and do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus isn't calling you just to think nice thoughts about him around Christmas time and Easter and whenever times are hard for you. Jesus is calling you to make him your savior from sin, savior from your own doing and your own works to save yourself, but also to make him the Lord of your life who looks at you and says, I call the shots. Here is my law. Here is my way. You don't follow it to make yourself righteous, but you follow it because you love me. This gives us confidence, church. If we make him both our Savior and our Lord, it gives us confidence to look to death that's coming one day. It gives us confidence to look to Christ's second coming. And I hope, finally, it gives us confidence in God's plan in your difficult time right now. In a church with close to 200 people in it right here this morning, maybe a little less than that, I know there are some of you who are at a difficult time right now. You've got a diagnosis that's not looking good. You know that the holidays are coming up, and you don't know if that person's going to come to dinner or not. And if they do, you don't know what the atmosphere in the room is going to be. You don't know how things are going to work out financially as the year turns over. You just don't know. Whatever it is, you're in this difficult time. Do you trust that God is good? And do you trust that he has a plan and that he's working a plan and that all things are happening according to his plan? Our God is a God who is sovereign over all things and nothing happens outside of that plan. And that needs to give you confidence. And I know sometimes it doesn't. And you, have to, you have to really just figure out how to learn to believe and trust. But you can have confidence in God's plan. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I want you to know this, that you can go on to the next life in peace. But it's based on a condition. And the condition, the question is this, what do you do with Christ? Who is Jesus to you? Because your response to him, it will reveal the thoughts of your heart, as Simeon says. He is both Savior and he is Lord. And if he is not both of those things, he is neither of them for you. If you don't make him both Savior from your sins, and Lord of your life, then the thoughts of your heart are truly revealed that all you want is what we call moralistic therapeutic deism. Give me some morals, make me feel better, and I want a God who doesn't interact with me too much. And understand this, he's for the fall and the rising of many. He is opposed, and through him the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. But he can give you peace for this life and the next, if you will put your trust and hope in him. We're going to have a moment, uh, and just a moment, we're going to sing together, and I want to encourage you that if for you, you're in a place right now where you are having a hard time trusting in God's plan, first of all, that you're like, Lord, how, are things, how can things possibly be going according to plan? I want to encourage you, you're welcome to come and pray here at the front, or you can pray at your seat and say, God, I need help to trust you. If you're someone who's here and who's a believer and you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit because of the fact that you've not been a light to those who are in darkness, or you know that God is calling you to be a light to someone in particular, 
right now, I encourage you to come and pray and ask God to give you the courage and the words to tell the person about what it means to follow him. And if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, and you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling you you don't truly know Christ, you know about him, you like the idea of him, but you don't know him, I would encourage you to come and talk to me. And we can talk as long as we need to. We can stay afterwards and talk. But I want to encourage you to come and find out what it means to truly make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into this time of worship, this time of response, Lord, I ask that your Spirit would be moving, that you would be working on our hearts to cause us to respond rightly to you. But any attempt of the enemy to cause us to respond wrongly be fooled by you and your spirit. Help us to trust you the way Simeon trusted. Where we could die today knowing that you are working all things out according to your plan. That you always have been. You always will be. Help us put our trust in the true Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation. so much for joining with us this morning. It's been uh, a sweet time of worship together. I want to encourage you, we have service tonight at uh, 5 p.m. We'd love to see you there to worship with us and study God's Word together. Um, I'm going to close with a benediction, and then you will be dismissed. May God bless you this week, and may He be glorified in your life.
as you trust in him and his plan for your life and for the gospel to the nations. You're dismissed. Before everybody goes, oh. just real quick.